School rivalries have traditionally been settled on the athletic field or in the gym. These days, however, the fiercest rivalry in Indiana education is playing out at the State House. As the administration of Republican Governor Mike Pence and the independently run Education Department, led by Democratic State Superintendent of Public Instruction Glenda Ritz, battle over what they view as the very future of education in Indiana. Hi, I'm John Schwannis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, a panel of experts will join me to look at Pence's and Ritz's dueling visions for Hoosier schools and how that dichotomy is shaping education reform efforts in this year's legislative session. First, though, at the halfway point of the session, we have an update from Andy Tenbarge of the StatehouseFile.com, a service of Franklin College's Pulliam School of Journalism. Lawmakers are considering more than 35 bills that will affect school curriculum, the vouchers program, common core standards, teacher evaluations, and the teacher prep programs. But one of the biggest and most expensive programs under consideration is one that would use state money to send low-income kids to preschool. A plan passed by the House would extend the state's voucher program to make it happen. Uh, ultimately, it's my hope that we have a uh, pilot program that focuses on low-income children in high-performance programs. Representative Craig Battles, a teacher himself and the husband of a kindergarten teacher, says too many children are starting kindergarten without proper preparation. He says that will continue to affect them throughout their schooling. He likes the state-funded preschool, but he is not thrilled with the idea of using vouchers to pay for it. It's unfortunately that we stuck that political tone in a bill that does so much good. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's more important, I think, that we get those kids with the readiness skills. Republican Governor Mike Pence says that the state has a big surplus and can afford to put those children through preschool. For Indiana Lawmakers in the Statehouse File, I'm Andy Tenbarge. Thanks, Andy. Back in a moment with our roundtable discussion. Indiana Lawmakers, from the Statehouse to your house. The idea economy is here at the Purdue Research Park at Ameriplex, Indianapolis. Set on 80 acres near the new International Airport, the Purdue Research Park at Ameriplex, Indianapolis. The idea economy is here. The three R's used to be reading, writing, and arithmetic. In Indiana's current highly charged political climate, however, the R's could just as easily be rankings, reforms, and redistribution as in the redistribution of Hoosier students, of the public dollars that generally follow those students, and of education policymaking in general. What's the lesson for Hoosier students and their parents, for school teachers and administrators, and for taxpayers and employers who depend on a well-educated workforce? Here to help make sense of it all, I hope, are Republican Senator Peter Miller of Avon, a member of the Senate's Education and Career Development Committee, Gordon Hendry, an investment and commercial real estate services consultant who recently became an at-large Democratic member of the Indiana State Board of Education. David Dressler, executive director of the Center for Excellence in Leadership of Learning, or CELL, at the University of Indianapolis. And David Harris, founder and CEO of the Mind Trust, an Indianapolis-based nonprofit dedicated to education innovation. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. Let me start with something that's top of mind and top of windshield and top of sidewalks, and that is snow and ice. The, uh, as we tape this, the State Board of Education uh, is preparing to meet. Uh, the, I'm virtually certain that the notion of snow days and waivers will be coming up and perhaps the push to uh, delay I-step testing. Can you give us any insights on, on how that all might shake out? 
You know, my sense is that uh, given the importance of I-STEP testing uh, for our kids and teachers and school systems, that there will be uh, some consensus on the state board to uh, extend the window of the uh, testing uh, this, uh, this March uh, to allow uh, students to be fully prepared for uh, the I-STEP tests. And if the snow is still on the ground in March, uh, well, that's another discussion. We'll it's certainly back. been a challenging winter for all, all schools across Indiana. The Absolutely. polar vortex has, uh, has struck, <laughs> I guess. Let me go around the panel, uh, if I could, uh, get some brief assessments. Uh, everybody likes to give out grades, letter grades. Give me a letter grade for the state of education, public education in Indiana right now. And if you want to elaborate with a few words, feel free, Senator. Sure. I, I certainly give it an above average grade with, with uh, incomplete in terms of, of uh, progress to be made. Uh, despite your, your introduction talking about the charged political environment, I, I do feel clearly it's a messy process when you're trying to get uh, disparate uh, opinions together. But by and large, I do think uh, we are making progress and the State Board of Education is working well together and, and uh, uh, so I, I see better grades ahead. So above average, Lord Henry, what do you, you know, say? I would give uh, the State of Education in Indiana an A. I think we've got uh, some of the best teachers uh, in the state, in the entire United States. I think we are running, uh, you know, we're re really running ahead of the curve at this point due to the reforms that have been implemented in the last few years. I think we saw just uh, last November uh, in the nation's report card, our fourth graders were among the best in the country. And I think those successes uh, reflect uh, the the performance in the last few years. And I think we, that shows us that we need to continue some of these reforms to even, uh, in, even more improve our, uh, our educational system. Well, if we were grading on the curve, you just blew it for everybody with your A. <laughs> Thank, thanks a lot. That was my uh, strategy in school, and you just messed it up. <laughs> Dr. Dressler, your assessment. Never better. Uh, I think that in this, uh, Gordon mentioned reforms. I think they've made a huge difference. I think accountability has never been higher for education and for teachers and schools. And I think they've embraced that accountability. Um, the transparency on uh, score, uh, student achievement scores is there. Uh, meaningful teacher evaluation has been implemented. Uh, I think uh, the future is bright for public education. Wow. <laughs> All right, are you going to rain on the parade well, here? I, I may have to rain a little bit on All the parade. Right. Sorry Let the sprinkles about that. begin. Uh, I, I agree with many of the comments that have been made. I think that if you, if you evaluate the state of public education, uh, you'd have to give it a, a much lower grade than an A. I think maybe a C or maybe in some cases lower than that. And you look at the largest district in the state and less than half of the kids are graduating uh, with a real diploma. Uh, and we have problems all throughout the state where I think there is reason to be optimistic is that because of many of the reforms that have been enacted, we are in a position as a state to make big strides. The question now is whether we're going to execute on that opportunity. And I think one of the big challenges that we face is where we're going to put our public resources. Are we going to divert our public resources into those things that are producing the best results? Are we going to continue to distribute funds in the way that we have always? And I think that's going to be a big determiner of whether or not we really drive the kind of change that we need in the next several years. And I guess reform in Indiana schools is uh, an ongoing process, probably never done, but I, I know uh, my first session at the State House was uh, Bob Orr's, uh, one of his final sessions, when he was pushing mightily for what he referred to as the A-plus program for educational excellence. And then, of course, every governor who, uh, Republican, Democrat after, was sort of portrayed himself as the education governor and 
and had a set of reforms that were going to be the, the magic bullet. We've often heard, uh, or some people have said, there's reform fatigue when it comes to uh, education, and others would say, so much has happened so fast, particularly in the last few sessions, it's hard to actually know what, what's gone right and what has gone wrong. Do you buy uh, that uh, theory, or were you a believer in the more reform, the better at this point? Well, certainly I'm a proponent of the reforms we've made to give more choices to parents and to create more accountability within the school system. Um, but yeah, I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time and continue to monitor those reforms. That's, that's clearly key, but uh, without keeping our eye on the ball and other additional things we can do, I, I think we can do both of those. Even in areas such as school choice and vouchers, which is, uh, that's where there has been such a dramatic change. I think now I saw Indiana in terms of numbers of students, uh, maybe on a percentage basis who deal with or taking advantage of vouchers, it's the second most in the country if, uh, and probably uh, headed perhaps toward one of the most aggressive school choice programs. But you're, you don't think that needs to be, some have said, hey, we don't even know what the last session, the impact fully will be. But Well, I would agree that we want to determine what are the measures that will determine success of those programs. And better to come up with those now in an apolitical environment, and we can all agree on, as opposed to five years from now, to say, hey, was, are these improvements the result of those voucher programs or the result of something else? And, and where is that apolitical environment? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, I'm not sure that. We're, I haven't, I, seen, I, I, I haven't I, seen that. But. I, I think this is a really important question because you do hear a lot of people talk about education reform, but if you look at where we are and where we need to be, we're so far from where we need to be, particularly with some of our most disadvantaged students that we need to accelerate the kinds of reforms. Uh, Dr. Condoleezza Rice came and did an event in Indianapolis a few months ago uh, and was asked the question about whether or not education reform is an evolutionary process or needs to be a revolutionary process. And she said, we have no choice. It has to be a revolutionary process. One reason is we are not going to be in a position to field a modern military in this country because our education system is not producing enough people who are prepared to go into the military. And we know there are a whole host of other reasons why it's important, and the areas where we particularly need to accelerate it is precisely the one you identified in choice, creating more high-quality options for families. Uh, that's going to drive more than anything the, the increase in student performance well, levels. Let me, let me ask you, I wasn't going to uh, detour here, but you raise a point, too, about uh, disadvantaged youth and the notion of giving them an opportunity so that, what's the phrase, that you, zip code doesn't determine the quality of a person's uh, education. And yet new data, relatively new data from the Department of Education suggests that, that better off families and better off individuals are now benefiting to a greater degree from vouchers. It's not just the lowest rungs of the socioeconomic ladder. So is that, does that mean the program is missing the mark perhaps? Or does it need to be recalibrated so it really is focusing on the, on the lowest rungs? Again? I think it, what it needs to be is recalibrated. So there are different kinds of choice. There's charter schools, which our organization is significantly involved in. But I think as it relates to private school vouchers, part of the challenge is, is that the legislature hasn't provided enough resources for low-income kids to truly take advantage of the best private schools out there. And so that's part of the issue, and I hope that's the way that the legislature will look at it. Dr. Dressel, you study these things uh, for a living, and, and I mean, are we far behind the, uh, the curve here, or are we out in front? Can we coast a little bit? I think the danger of vouchers is that um, only, you, you mentioned that it's a high number in Indiana, it's only 1.8% of, of public school students um, take advantage of vouchers for private schools. But it's growing quite rapidly. It correct? is growing, but there's still going to be a vast majority of public school students in public schools, not in private schools. 
the and you mentioned the the income guidelines for vouchers really make vouchers more of a middle class entitlement program where you can send your uh, children to to private schools, get the religious education you desire, but really have the state pay for it and and my concern about vouchers is that uh, the concentration by the legislature on private school solutions really uh, is a distraction from looking at the problems faced by public schools and addressing those problems effectively. Yeah, and maybe this is an exaggeration, a bit of hyperbole, but if you continue down the path of of allowing individuals to take public dollars to private schools, where will there be a a line between public education and private education, or is it all, you know, in 10 years, 20 years, just education funded by taxpayers? Uh, Gordon Hendry. Well, I think it, it's how you view where the dollars are, and, and really the dollars uh, are the kids, not they don't belong to the school district. So really what we're talking about is creating the best options for the, the students, uh, whether that's private, public, or what have you. And I agree with what Dave was saying about vouchers being a very small part of public education here in the state. So, um, you know, and they're not going away. So uh, they, they are And you have no concern that they fundamentally hurt or erode funding for public education. Many of, I don't need to tell you as a Democrat mm -hmm. uh, appointee, um, I want to ask you whether you voted, uh, how you voted in the last uh, <laughs> uh, superintendent's race. Uh, later I might. But you are the Democratic representative. Right. There are plenty of Democrats uh, who would say, this is just taking flesh off of, off of public education. Every time you extend a voucher, every time you extend another choice. You know, you know I, I agree with uh, David Harris in that uh, there may be some recalibration that needs to be implemented, but um, I, I believe that uh, vouchers can be a helpful uh, solution for students who are in a, a failing school district, and it gives them options. And, you know, largely, I think we're talking about disadvantaged kids. So, um, you know, as a Democrat, I think that aligns with my uh, party's uh, philosophy in, in helping people uh, get ahead in life. And the, and the same arguments were made, of course, against charter schools. And I think charter schools have been one of the most positive influences on, say, the Indianapolis public schools than anything else because it has forced them to think differently about how they're going to operate. I know that's not a view that everybody shares, obviously, but that I think there's a lot of evidence to support that. Spoken like two former members of Bart Peterson's administration. <laughs> I feel like it's, a, it's a, an ex-mayor's reunion, staff reunion here. That was, of course, one of his uh, mantras was, was school choice, uh, uh, something of a novelty for a Democratic uh, office holder at that point. Yeah. Common Core. I know we're jumping that's around here, but I, that's another biggie. Uh, Senate, of course, uh, gave its backing to legislation that would not just put a pause on it, which was done last session, but this basically says throw it out. And, and I know the board, the state board, is already coming up with other standards. Why is there this uh, suspicion or hatred or uh, I'm not sure what the right word is for Common Core, which was developed largely with by Republican governors, including Mitch Daniels? Sure. And to be honest, I would say this is an issue that didn't have the legislature's attention up until a couple years ago. and. I think, think uh, Glenda Rich's election had something to do with it, not that, not that this was the difference maker, but surely gained some votes because of folks that were opposed to Common Core. Um, Which does bring together some interesting uh, allies it, it does, on, a, on who normally would be at each other's throat, I right. think. But, but again, I, my feeling of this bill uh, that just passed the Senate, it's not yet uh, been to the House, um, kind of blesses the process that's already undergoing that uh, 
before July 1st, the State Board of Education will develop standards developed by Hoosiers, for Hoosiers, that will be tops in the country and uh, will have kids college and career ready. And, and whether that's Common Core or, or something, it won't be Common Core because it will be specifically for Hoosiers, but uh, that's the, the best possible result. I think. Well, David Dressler, when you look at the, I've got a son who's preparing for the ACT. He's already taken it once. We won't talk about the scores. So he's preparing. And <laughs> uh, SAT, those are effectively Common Core standards. They've been aligned so why, to the Common Core. So why, uh, why do you think there's this reluctance uh, you know, it's, to, to say we don't want to be part of a national right. widespread uh, set of standards here? You were looking for the word. The word's paranoia. It's... Um, Senate Bill 91 is, is potentially the most destructive bill to education in the last 20 years, in my opinion. Uh, lowering our standards um, is not the answer to educational concerns. But it's not, common, the Common Core Bill is not about standards. In fact, there's not an understanding of what standards are uh, in the legislature. They think it's how you teach and what you teach. It's not. Uh, the standards do do direct you to how you teach and what you teach, but the standards do not set those guidelines. Um, it's, a po uh, it's a political uh, situation. Do you remember um, fluoridated water and, and this being a communist plot to, to, for the Russians to take over? This has I wouldn't some, have so many cavities in my head yes. right now if we'd have fluoridated <laughs> water back in Indianapolis. And, this in has some parallels to that because it's not about the facts, it's about concerns and fears. And so, um, Hopefully, the State Board of Education will, will um, put some common sense into this process because right now, we're just operating on misinformation and, and paranoia, and, and that's dangerous to education. Can you deliver some common well, sense? I know you all have been I, working I on so. standards. I you're announcing so. hearings perhaps as early as today at the meeting. Yes. Not the hearings today, but you'll be announcing right. when those might occur. You know, um, as it relates to Common Core, uh, I feel like there's been a lot of misinformation out there. and. You know, um, I believe in a set of standards that are um, that will prepare our students to be college and career ready, and those should be Hoosier standards. Um, at the same time, I think uh, those standards should be aligned with uh, you know national standards. Uh, and uh, I would say, with respect to Common Core, um, you know, we've already implemented Common Core in our schools. Uh, we already our teachers are using uh, Common Core aligned textbooks. There will be a great cost to rolling back the standards, and I think taking a step back would, Some people would be said, unfortunate. Erlene Rogers, senator uh, from the northern part of the state, said uh, during debate, twenty-four million dollars uh, in wasted funds. Do you, do you buy that? Um, I've heard I've heard large numbers, and and I think what's more important is uh, what what the impact is on our kids, and how does that affect their educations if we. Uh, completely roll back the standards. I think Indiana's made great progress uh, over the last few years, as has been reflected in our testing. You know, there are so many uh, issues. We could talk, dwell on any one of them, and I'd love to, believe me. Uh, but the school bell's going to ring here momentarily. And I did allude in the introduction to this friction that's, that's taking place, that's unfolding, it has been for some time now, between the Department of Education, between your, your entity, the state board, between the governor's office, but even though Mike, Mike Pence did lead a standing ovation at, during his state of the state address for Glenda Ritz, um, it's probably the nicest thing that's been done in terms of, of the back and forth there. Everybody wants accountability, but right now you have the State Board of Education, which is now staffed out of a new entity, the Center on Education and Career Innovation, which 
answers to the governor. You have the independently elected state superintendent with, with her department. You have, uh, well, hey, you even have an education committee in the House and Senate with statutory oversight of education. Never mind all the various nonprofits and think tanks uh, represented here. How do you, how, who's, who's running this? Who, who makes decisions? Well, and, is it, and is this a flawed setup? I, I would agree there's some vagueness in terms of where authority and responsibility line up. And up until now, the last generation or so, it's not, not been an issue because the board and the governor and superintendent were all on board with the same policy. Even though they weren't necessarily always. That's I mean, correct. Yeah. Ellen Reed had three That's right. Republican yeah. governors. Regar- regardless of party. Or, I mean, it's Democratic. Right. Regardless of party. And, and, yes, there have been some some uh, butting heads in the last year. but it, Is it time to do away with uh, the, the independently elected state superintendent? Many states, it is an appointed position. If the governor wants to be responsible for education, would you advocate that? I, I, currently, superintendent is duly elected and will be happy to respect that and uh, give her, I, as I say, right now, this seems to be the group is working together, so there's no need for us to, to step in. And you would want to keep her as chairman of the... Uh, of the State Board of Education well, as well. For this term. For, for this term. All right. All right. We, we should absolutely have the governor appoint the state superintendent. It happens all over the country, and most states do that. Governors set education policies. We want governors to set education policies, whether that was Governor Bill Clinton when he was uh, the governor of Arkansas, or Jeb Bush, or Mitch Daniels, or Frank O'Bannon. Uh, governors are driving education policy, and the dysfunction that we're seeing now is just kind of an extreme example of what happens when you don't have alignment between the governor and the state superintendent. The state superintendent is not there to set policy as much as to oversee the Department of Education. The governor should have that appointment. We should get along, get on board with the rest of the country and, and just move forward with doing that. Anybody want to have a 10-second rebuttal? We need, we need to take politics out of education. We've been fortunate of having both Republican and Democrat governors who have led on the issue, and I think we need to take politics out of education. Easier said than done, I'm guessing you would say, Dr. Dressler. Um, easier said than done, but I think, uh, I think we may be on the road to recovery with the newfound cooperation that we were seeing at this. They at did the have a mediator level. come in and yep. work with them. Yep. Uh, can't we all get along, I yep. guess, is the answer. It's looking better all the time. Well, I'm glad you all got okay. along here and shared your insights. I appreciate uh, your uh, observations on a, on a very critical issue for the state of Indiana, obviously. Again, my guests have been Republican Senator Peter Miller of Avon, Gordon Hendry, a Democratic member of the State Board of Education, Dr. David Dressler, Executive Director of the Center of Excellence in Leadership of Learning at the University of Indianapolis. I may have put in an extra word there, sorry. And David Harris, founder and CEO of the Indianapolis-based nonprofit, The Mind Trust. From I-69 to the toll road, from mass transit to filling potholes, we're talking transportation on the next Indiana Lawmakers. And time now for our weekly conversation with Indiana Lawmakers Analyst Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight and its sister publication, Indiana Education Insight. All right. I had three nominees for what the R's stand for, but I had others that didn't make, that got left on the editing room floor. Rancor, recrimination, charges of radicalism on both ends of the political spectrum. What has happened to uh, education reform discourse in, in the State House? Well, to a large extent, John, it's been politicized, and that's not a good thing. But we've also seen, you know, one-sided debate on this or a lack of debate on this over the, the last few years. So, in, in essence, it's, it's good to have this kind of, of a spirited debate and discussion over some of these things, in particular with the State Board of Education. 
And what we're seeing now is that some of the, the programs and concepts of Common Core are actually being debated where, where some of these things just kind of were put in place without any kind of, of, of true discussion or any kind of sense as to what Indiana really wanted from these things. And the reason they were not debated before this is simply the Republican overwhelming majorities in, in both chambers? Or that, is it more complicated than that? I think that that's part of the issue, but in terms of, of Common Core, you saw a lot of Democratic support for that as well. And, and only now, after it was implemented, have we seen some pushback on that, and it's been some pushback from Democratic quarters, too, where we saw in, in that superintendent of public instruction race in, in uh, 2012, yeah, 2012, 2012, um, where this came to the fore, and people hadn't really realized that this was an issue at the grassroots before. So there's no saving Common Core. I mean, it, granted, it's come out of the uh, Senate, it's over in the House, but even though people are, uh, Erlene Rogers, as I mentioned in the roundtable, has thrown out a figure $24 million that would be wasted by backing away from it now, it's, it's all but in the trash can. Is that, is that well, fair? Well, as a, as, a, as a national kind of concept, perhaps, but we don't know what the Hoosierized version will end up being. We don't know how close it may come to, to being what we actually have right now. And that also will affect the cost standards. And those weren't just Senator Rogers' Democratic cost estimates. Those came from the state, from the Office of Management and Budget. But they may be overrated depending upon how much change is actually involved in, in the, the final form of the Common Core State, or the, the new Hoosier standards. And with, in terms of money, Senator Kinley suggested that because there's price tag attached to some of the voucher bills and so forth, might have to wait till next year. Uh, with the vouchers and things like that, perhaps. Common Core, that's going through now. All right. Very good, Ed. Thank you, as always, for your insight. For more information, episode streams, and extra content, visit us on the web at wfyi.org lawmakers. And remember, you can get our show on demand from Xfinity and Bright House Network. Well, that's it for this edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Chuanis, and on behalf of WFYI Public Media, Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, and the StatehouseFile.com, I thank you for joining us and invite you to tune in again at the same time next week. Until then, take care. What if a robotic arm could help disabled students reach for their dreams? It does. Introducing RoboDesk. To learn more about this and more than 400 other world-changing Purdue technologies, visit otc-prf.org.